Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hello everyone and welcome. Today we'll be talking about mobile ad revenue and monetization and more specifically we will discuss what will happen in 2021 including the potential impact of IDFA deprecation. Of course to talk about these issues we have with us a good mix of ecosystem players in the industry. First representing the smaller indie studio we have Josh Chanley CEO of Wildcard Games an indie mobile game studio building classic card games. Uh, next, we have Sofia Gilyazova, Head of Ad Monetization at Social Point, the mobile games division of Take-Two. And obviously, you guys have a lot of great mobile games that I've been playing recently. And finally, Offer Yehudai, who is president of Fiber. Fiber builds monetization platforms for mobile game publishers. And for all three of you, welcome to the podcast. All right, so just jumping right in, I think the thing that's of most relevance and that people are interested in is this in terms of ad monetization trends for 2021 is the impact of IDFA deprecation. So maybe we could just go right off the bat and start there. Josh? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think uh, CPMs are going to go down. I don't think that's a huge surprise to anybody. Um, that said, I, I think there's a lot of panic in the market right now. People are, are very anxious because we're all anticipating this change but we don't have a lot of um, ability to take action and iterate right now. Um, so definitely a lot of anxiety. Um, that said, we do, we do have um, LAT users already on iOS. So I can share a little bit of data about what Wildcard's seeing so far in December. Yeah. Um, 
interstitials, we're seeing down around 55%. Um, rewarded is 60, and banner is uh, 70, which is way, way, it's huge. Um, the asterisk there is the lat is much lower volume than non-lat. So we are able to spend a lot more time optimizing our non-lat revenue, which means those could be a little exaggerated. Um, additionally, um, there's a ton of factors at play here. Um, seeing video down 60%, I don't expect to see video down 60% post IDFA. Um, three things um, that I, I would think about is right now, the lat, there's, um, there's a lot of players missing from the market. Um, Facebook audience network does not bid on lat traffic. Um, and fan is about a third of ad revenue for most non-lat. Um, and second, not all users are going to be lat. Um, if publishers go from 15% of iOS impressions on lat to 80%, then maybe only 60% will see this decline. Uh, and then third, and this is a bit more speculative, and I'm curious to know what Sophia thinks, um, but if demand for for non-LAT traffic remains high and supply of LAT traffic of non-LAT traffic is low, what happens to those CPMs? Are those going to spike up? I mean, those, those are my first thoughts. Absolutely. Thank you for the question, Josh. Well, I, I think I tend to be more positive in general. Uh, also, I think I've been, you know, through we've all been through through pandemic and we've been through a ECPM drop on pandemic and uh, specifically here at Social Point, we managed to kind of turn it around for us and actually see an increase in that revenue during that time. Uh, therefore, I'm, I'm a bit more calm right now that maybe I could have been <laughs> without the pandemic. But I think that um, eventually we will end up in either net neutral or even maybe, uh, well, in the long term, in the net positive. Um, I take it, well, I have, of course, like kind of a positive and negative outlook on this and I, like negative one, I think it's more closer to what, what you, Josh said, right? That, you know, everybody will be in panic. A lot of advertisers might pause the spending. A lot of advertisers, uh, you know, just push spending to maybe other sources and anything can happen. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot of uncertainty that is coming, but on the other hand, what I think is would happen is what you already said is that the, the users that will still have IDFA available will potentially be worth more just for those advertisers which are maybe tend to be more conservative and they're still really, really want to find these uh, high value uh, IDFA available users. Therefore, if, if we manage to get those, uh, let's say, uh, killer whales or ad whales, which are actually uh, have IDFA available, those will be worth more. And maybe I'm just way too positive on this, but this is exactly what I'm pitching to my product teams all the time, so that we keep uh, testing the prompt. Um, and on the on the other like positive side of things, um, I do believe that Android marketplace in the short term would be actually performing better. We've seen a similar trend when uh, Apple banned uh, CPU offers on the iOS. We've seen almost net neutral, uh, eventually a revenue impact. So. I'm kind of crossing finger that in the short term, when you know everybody goes to panic, some advertisers will probably pause, but some advertisers maybe will actually jump on the opportunity and try to buy something, buy on iOS and actually buy on Android a lot. Um, 
again, challenge me and my positivity, but uh, this is what I think is going to happen. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think the worst likely case is that 60% of impressions take about a 50% haircut, um, which means in the short term, I, it's hard to imagine worse than a 30% a decline to me. Yeah. I want to offer maybe, I agree with you guys, but uh, I would like to break it down. Uh, I like to break things to, 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 you know, to smaller components. Uh, you know, I don't think this is a singular event, meaning the day this will happen, let's say March, like the, the current rumor, like, yeah, then we'll start the process that will have several steps. And the first step will be the actual shock, not the shock of uh, last summer when Apple just said, but the actual shock when we start seeing those LAT numbers going up to 60, to 70, to 80%, God knows, but it will go up, right? Um, I'm afraid what will happen then, and I would love to hear from you, know, you, Josh and Sophia, I think some UA marketers will start to slow down their budgets just in case just to see what happens, which may create this you know, ripple effect of like a pull down in the market. But I am optimistic like you, that in a matter of a quarter, maybe two, we'll go back up again, because we'll see, okay, it's 60% out of 60% and we can make it happen. So that's the first thing. There will be shock, pull back, and then recovery. And when the recovery will happen, it will not happen in the same way for different genres. Like I don't see hyper casual in social casino recovering the same way. You know, uh, some say that hyper casual will be more impacted. You know, I have a different view. I look at how uh, advertisers are targeting hyper casual and it's mainly category targeting, like the tap, 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 jump type of games, etc. That's the audience I want. I don't really care about offer. I want the people who play these type of games. Social casino, mid core, I am looking at the top spenders, the first deposit, et cetera. That requires deeper targeting. These guys, not sure what's happened with you guys. So we can't look at the market the same way. So we have to look at different genres. I actually believe we'll see a dip. Hyper casual will come back. Casual will come back. And then we have to see what we're doing with the most sophisticated buyers. Okay, and just to kind of get a sense of what you guys think from more of a specific impact to, like if I'm a publisher and I'm trying to model the impact of ad revenue loss for my business, Josh, you're saying something like 30%. Sophia and offered you guys, what, what do you guys think in terms of ranges for publishers to think about as they're trying to plan for 2021? Well, I think that um, offer brought up a very good point about the difference in genres. So I think you cannot just give like the answer for all the genres across all the genres. Like, hey guys, it's going to be minus 50%. No, it's true. It depends on how niche is your game or, or what type of audience are you targeting. If you're targeting massive audience, you might not see really a, you know, a very big damage because you, you will be able to, yes, your CPMs will decline, but your CPIs will decline as well. And the question is what declines more, you know? So I don't think I can really give an answer. I think it can go from minus 40 to, to zero eventually. It depends. Depends on what, what is your game, what genre is your game, and, and what type of audience is playing your game, and actually how big is your game as well. I would also throw in it's your ability to, to react. Because um, when Sophia talks about potentially a negative 30, negative 40%, she, she's not actually saying add uh, LTV or ad revenue, she's saying CPMs. 
And there's a lot of things that you can do, um, especially if you're um, if you're ad monetized primarily on, let's say, interstitials or banners or system initiated ads in general. With system initiated ads, you're essentially spending your retention on monetization. Um, if you're receiving less revenue for spending your retention, perhaps you should show less ads. I mean, I think the most sophisticated um, uh, players are doing a lot of ad frequency testing, and that's based on the CPMs that they're receiving. Um, rebalancing that um, will probably mean that they're going to show um, ads less frequently, um, have better long-term retention, and not experience a full 30% decline. I mean, I've seen these A-B tests when you measure them out to D90. I've seen in my own games 40, 50% gains. So I, I think it's um, fair to say if it's a scenario where um, a publisher is impacted by, let's say, 30% or CPMs, I think it's very uh, achievable to get to negative 10, negative 15% um, to your actual ad LTV within a couple of months, as long as you have the ability to run sophisticated A-B tests. I can take you back and uh, if I look at some data like mediation wide data for the past eight weeks, I see a trend yeah. and the trend is encouraging because uh, eight, 10 weeks ago, when we compared the performance of uh, lat traffic to non-lat traffic, the gaps were staggering. Talking like, you know, 10 cents for the dollar, like th 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 that's when all the doomsday uh, predictions came. But luckily enough, the graph of LAT performance across the board and I agree Sophia again, I'm averaging here, started to climb and go up and up and up. In the last seven days, we are around 60 cents for the dollar. So yeah, minus 40 or, I mean, I look at the trend, not the, not the actual number. And the trend is that more and more buyers become more sophisticated and they're using more tools to actually yield more out of LAT traffic. I don't foresee that we are you know, coming on par to exactly 100%, but we don't have to. To your guys' point, like, because the media is also cheaper than, you know, again, the CAC LTV cycle, it works. If we'll end up at like 70, 75 cents for the dollar, I think all in all, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Uh, but, but still, LAT traffic uh, worldwide is around 30, 40% on iOS 14. So to, we need to see what happens, like how fast and how much it goes to see if that formula holds up. Yeah, I totally agree. When we compare uh, our traffic, which is, of course, we have uh, LET on traffic already, we do see that if we compare purely CPMs, we see minus 30%, so they, they monetize 30% worse. But again, as, as Ofer said, it, it's just current situation where people do not really buy LET on traffic or there is no nothing, no, no advanced tools which are actually used to buy from there. So. That's why I probably am being positive. And I think is, there is also something important we maybe should mention is on the brand side, because at least for social point, we've been benefiting from, from brand advertising quite a lot. And it's not necessarily even direct. We don't have a direct uh, sales team that works with brands. Actually, we're working with branded networks. Um, and we've noticed an incredible influx of brand networks after pandemic, which I think actually quite a industry-wide uh, trend. What I think will happen is in 2021, I don't think brand, brands will subside, 
because look, we have Olympic, Olympics, which didn't happen. We have finally the movie production, which is starting again. Even if you look at these type of trends, even if you look into e-commerce, which probably during the pandemic times, they understood like that the pandemic has changed consumers, right? They changed consumers' habits, shopping habits. So clearly e-commerce is becoming a norm for everybody. Therefore, I'm quite positive that we'll have a lot of brands also to compensate, which was, what a luck, IDFA independent. What do you guys think? I think you just touched, you touched a very important trend by itself. No, seriously, which is, you know, 2021, I hope we start seeing much more brands. Now, you know, I, I'm old. I've been, uh, I co-founded Interactive in 07 and was pitching, you know, brands for mobile in 08 in Barcelona in the Mobile World Congress. So, We've been waiting every year for the brands to step in. Uh, but I do agree and feel like this is different. Funny to say it, but you know, thanks to the pandemic or thanks to COVID, I think marketers are now fully appreciate what mobile gaming really means, right? And that, that's something all of us were waiting for such a long time. Not just the, you know, not just user acquisition, but actually brands understand that there is value in meeting their audience while they play a nice casual game or they engage with you know, a more deeper game. This is a, a, a full all-in experience, very different than you know, TV. So by itself, I think it's a, it's a trend. We'll see more networks, we'll see, we'll see more buyers, we'll see new technology like in-game placements that is now starting again. Uh, all of that is definitely very interesting and we have to follow very closely. Got it. And so if I'm hearing you guys correctly, basically CPMs probably dropped by 30% or more. And I've heard a you know pretty big range in terms of the what the or more could be. But to kind of Sophia, your point, then also CPIs decrease. So from a ROAS perspective, you, you gotta see how that kind of nets out. And Josh, to your point, even if CPMs go down, if you're trying to model what the impact your ad revenue is, there are other things you can do, such as rebalancing how you surface your ad, ad frequency, things of that nature. But could you guys talk about, are there any other things you could do, to Josh's point, uh, to help offset that loss in ad revenue? What are other things that mobile game developers or publishers should be thinking about? Josh, I don't know, maybe we could start with you if you have any other thoughts. Yeah, uh, I think Offer and Sophia nailed it with the brand advertising. Um, mm -hmm. You're not going to get $100 CPMs off a of brand, but you're going to take a lot of um, those ads that would have filled at two, three, four dollars and bump those up to eight, nine, ten dollars and rewarded, and maybe five, six, seven on your schedule. That's on mass, that's big. Uh, that makes a big impact. Um, I also think that um, there are a lot of people who don't run remove ads IAPs, um, whether that's an IAP or subscription. Um, the margin on those is certainly improving if um, the, or the theoretical margin if, um, if CPMs decline. Um, I think those are all big. Um, but the biggest one I, I think is just doing tons of A-B testing around frequency um, for interstitials, um, we're seeing still banners being the most effective. So if I was showing banners, I'd be very curious to know what it looks like with my game, um, having no banners showing. Um, and then for rewarded video, what you're offering, maybe trying offering slightly less could be really interesting. 
Um, one other thought that I'm kind of curious to hear from offer especially is, so let's say this happens, we hit a 30% um, revenue cut. If you're monetizing is with ads and we're expecting this smooth path upwards of CPMs, is that a UA buying opportunity for an ad monetized game? So you, you want to say yes, right? Because you think about it as, as a market and you say, hey, the supply just become cheaper. But the, the problem is, you know, lack of IDFA is primarily affecting marketers. You can't do retargeting. You can't run a suppression list. A frequency caps becomes a challenge. So the question that I cannot answer professionally is like, would it be cheap enough? Is 30% decrease is enough to compensate the lack of targeting? Can I use contextual targeting to properly run campaigns and make my hit my day seven ROAS, right? Or whatever the KPI is. This is a question. That's why, again, I think this entire fa a, a, a change will be modular. We'll have several steps. We'll have to see there'll be shock, and then we, there is recovery. But I, I, I want to add one step for, for all publishers, which I know nobody likes to do it. And I know, Josh, you just shipped your last build before the end of the year. But between now and March, make sure all your SDK partners are up to date, but like really up to date. And don't get mad if they ship two SDKs in a month. It's not bugs fixes. And now speaking on behalf of the industry, there are so many things that you know all of us are learning and Apple are changing or Facebook are moving and we have to make changes and it's SDK. Not everything you can do server side, unfortunately. Nobody likes to ship or integrate an SDK. But the, you know, if you, get, if you have the latest SDKs, you are more likely to use like the latest uh, privacy APIs, contextual targeting or whatnot. And those small things really make a difference, seriously. Uh, you know, give or take 5% from the, from the down of 30, we all need that. So get your SDK in place. Yeah, strongly <laughs> agree. Um, I just wanted to say, add in there, like just like us, the publishers who need time to like run tests and work on this stuff, um, what I've been hearing is that they need time getting this data passed back to them so that they can figure out how to use it most effectively. Um, so if we're, if we're pushing those hard, that can help reduce some of the, the odds of the most negative outcomes in March or April. Sophia, did you have any thoughts on this? Um, yes, well, to, to complement what, what the guys already said, I think that eventually this type of turbulence in, in the industry, which happens every year, always there's something happening, uh, it does urges us to go into kind of innovation also in terms of ad revenues and monetization. I want to discuss now rather like ad monetization side of uh, side of things. Uh, you know, we're we're so used to to monetize with performance networks, with uh, Facebook, AdMob, all these guys that you guys know. And uh, now the industry is changing, so we have to look for ways to to find other ways to monetize. And in a way, it's a fine challenge. I actually like it. Uh, it also changes my my job description. It changes my uh, all the challenges I have and. I find it great, to be honest. So for example, we started working with surveys last year and this was rather a consequence of um, overall being banned on iOS and we wanted to make it very fair to our users to have uh, an equal amount of gem sources and which are not IAPs on both platforms. So we actually weren't even running for revenue. We we're just rather, we wanted to be fair to our community and 
now we have so many different ad formats on the market, like Oprah already mentioned in-game ads that are just everywhere right now. And there's many, many sales pitches going on, but I, I find it really cool. I mean, it's, it's great. It's a very native format. And as long as it's, of course, trouble free, we can try, we can try it out. We just have to learn how to, how to treat it, how to measure things and how to create benchmarks. Audio ads is another trend, which actually we are now uh, talking to because we're curious. And I find it great because all of these formats are IDFA independent and it's branded eventually. It's something new for, for the audience. I think also for the users, it could be an interesting challenge because you know they're used to see rewarded video. They're used to see banners and interstitials, especially thanks to hypercasual. But now we're moving to a different direction. And iOS users will actually be able to experience a completely different uh, feeling from advertising. And maybe this feeling is actually better than it, than it was. So I thought in terms of another trend for 2021 that we could talk about is this topic that a number of folks have been talking about, but I'm not sure if a lot of companies have yet adopted, which is greater integration of product and ad monetization or marketing teams generally. And so wondering if you could talk about anything that you guys are seeing or that you yourselves are doing within your studios. I can talk a little bit about it. I, I'd be much more curious to hear about Sophia, someone who's at bigger scale. Um, I think this has been a trend for a really long time now. One of the ways that Wildcard's been able to grow is by having that tightly integrated team um, where product is um, looking at um, potential ad monetization improvements through the same lens as IAP or retention improvements. Um, um, and we've been able to build, because of that, we've been able to prioritize our ad stack, uh, whether that's adding lots of competition or implementing the ability to run those really cool A-B tests. I mean, we're definitely seeing some weird stuff where mediation is trying to take over things like user testing, frequency testing. Um, I believe Iron Source is a way to test justicial frequency out to day seven. Um, but really, the really cool stuff um, wildcards run tests to D90, D120, and beyond, and we make really, really interesting learnings um, about what you can do to really make a ton of ad revenue um, if you have that very long-term view. But that requires a product team investment. Um, so, Sophia, what's it been like for you at a big company? Out of a big company, also that primarily makes games which are IP based. So yeah, that was quite a ride <laughs> since since the time I joined in 2018. I think we've we've improved a lot. I'm very proud to see this because uh, we are we've been making uh, very very long term, very long lasting titles which are IAP based. But currently we have a very substantial amount of revenue coming from ads, and I see it as a very very big success. And I, to be honest, the props of that is actually thanks to to product teams because. We've started working with the product very, very closely, and maybe I can give you like a couple of practical advice which which worked for us, and you could potentially try to implement if you like. Uh, so one of them was, uh, for example, well, uh, education, and by education I mean creating, improving the T shape between the teams. So we've held a bunch of workshops for all the product teams to actually explain what ad monetization is and what are the KPIs which are controlled closer to a product, for example, like engagement rate or frequency impressions per engaged user, and ECPM when it comes to us, right, where we handle and work with third parties. So 
that was a very big step for us. And it, of course, we had also been educated ourselves on our team, on the advanced team. We learned what product is doing, what are their KPIs, what are their OKRs, and what are they looking for. So that helped already quite a lot. And the second step we've done was um, to have somebody from the product team, ideally a product manager or live ops manager, to be partially responsible for uh, the content, which is directly impacts advertising, not IAPs or, well, ideally both, but uh, still advertising at its best. And that worked for us a lot. And uh, well, the last important part is of course, OKRs, so, or, or goals, your targets that are shared between product and ad, ads teams. That was the best because you can easily see what you're going to achieve, what, what are you actually striving for to achieve. We've been participating in all the brainstormings and uh, the product team always participates in our brainstormings. And I think I see so much synergies coming from me that uh, I wish there could be like, like, I wish I could be more than just one person to participate in every every studio's uh, brainstorming to help them with live ops and everything, but clearly it's impossible. Uh, but that's, I guess, the challenge of the big company that at some point you understand that you are not able to com completely help or, or to, to learn a lot about every prototype, about every game. Uh, but this is why we're expanding the team. So this is how it actually worked out for us. I can definitely say that uh, this is the trend. I mean, most of the conversations with publishers today are with the product team, the admin team, the UA team. It's not, you no longer just negotiate, you know, with just one of them. It's a, it's a group effort. And again, it's it's always the little things, right? I mean, a, an admin person can, can add a new network that will increase latency and that latency will, you know, increase churn. And then the UA manager will freak out why my D2 dropped, you know, it's, it's those small things, even before day 90, Josh, it can happen like overnight. So yeah, I think we are breaking the silos and we're working together as, as teams. And that's why even monetization tools like Fiber, Iron Source, Josh and others are starting to introduce tools for the UA guys, not just for the Edmon guys. Okay, cool. So maybe the next trend of 2021 that we can talk about has to do with data. Now there's a lot of rumors flying around about various things going on, but in terms of access to data, which becomes increasingly important, just given what's happening with IDFA, can you guys talk about what do you think happens to access to data, both kind of supply and demand side in 2021, starting with you, Josh? Yeah. Um... So on the demand side, I won't talk too much there because that's still a black box to me in terms of how much we're really going to get. We're waiting to um, hear from Apple what they're going to give us essentially. Um, on the on the supply side, um, yeah, access to data is critical. Um, all of these prior uh, these prior trends we've been talking about, you know, like surviving the IDFA apocalypse. Um, like rallying product and admon and UA teams together as one. It's all about using like data um, to overcome these tough problems. Um, and the teams are, thankfully we have this ad data. If we have ad revenue data, just like um, IAP data, you know, when there's a, when there's a transaction, we kind of get a receipt from the mediator. Um, so that data is really valuable for running those AB tests and seeing if these things are positive. Um, you know, does adding fiber, um, you know, grow your admon stack, grow your ad revenue? 
And if it did for us, it was really great. Um, the bad news was um, so far as being that that data, um, specifically how much an ad network has paid to show a specific user and impression is very valuable. Um, and it, it appears that um, some networks would like to have the, the monopoly on that data. Um, essentially, um, they, they, they do not want us to know if there are ads showing in our games and if there are, how much we're earning for them, um, which makes it very difficult to, um, to run those tests. Um, fan is definitely one that comes to mind that's very, that does not want to hand over that data. Um, so that, yeah, that, that's definitely a, a big issue that poses a big risk. It certainly comes across as someone that's obviously not in the mediation role. It comes across that fan is leaning quite heavily on the mediators, you know, because their role, the role of a mediator, unsurprisingly given their name, is to host fair and transparent auctions. You know, however, FAN is 25, 30% of ad revenue for most publishers. Um, if FAN were to pull support for bidding on a mediator, that would probably make it hard for that mediator to compete. The net effect is Facebook at least could exert a lot of pressure on those mediators um, to perhaps do what's in the best interests of, of them uh, rather than their stated goal of fair and transparent mediation. So the question is, how do you tell if that's happening? The canary is basically, if you serve 100 ads in your game and 20 of them were by, by one network, say Facebook, for instance, Facebook bidding. Um, and so 100 ads served, 20 to this network, and you only get back 80 receipts. That may, mediator may have been a little bit compromised um, by that ad network. Um, any publisher that monetizes with ads should be asking their mediators that question pretty specifically. You know, do you get all those receipts back? Um, because if you don't, especially with a big network, how can you run those, those tests to react aggressively to IDFA? That's really important. You know, so Wildcard right now, we mediate with Max. Um, we've been really impressed so far. Um, they are actually, as of, I believe, yesterday, passing back um, all ad revenue data at the user level, uh, or estimates at least, which is really, really helpful. So that's been a big deal for us. And th those are my initial thoughts. I'm really glad you raised this point, Josh. Clearly, this is something that I think we all should talk more rather than less and it's actually the topic I, I never hear on any of the you know podcasts or anywhere uh, I do believe that all of us the publishers and the big publishers the small publishers we we are a lever to kind of tackle those questions and at least challenge uh, these type of networks on on the sharing because you know we've been going towards transparency we've had ad revenue data per user then we had impression level data so we've, we've been going the right direction and now it feels like we're stepping backwards apart from iOS. I don't want to even start that. <laughs> so, uh, but, but the second force, like you mentioned, is mediation platforms. And those are huge players, which can also, also put a pressure. And I guess here I will redirect to you, Offer, because you're perfect here. 
uh, I, I would be very curious to see why mediation platforms do not do anything, or maybe they just don't do enough, or they did already, but it just didn't work. So many good questions. This is like, this topic would be two webinars by itself. I think if I look at the mobile game publishers, it's one of the only industries where you guys as a publisher, you don't know which ads are running on your games and how much you're getting paid. Not because the mediation platforms don't want to tell you. Most networks, unless you're running like a good programmatic exchange, the, the, most of the SDK networks, not all of them, and, and you guys named a few, so excuse me if I won't repeat, but uh, they don't want to tell you. Trust me, I think we are trying to echo your voice, but the publisher has direct relationship contractually with the networks, the mediations don't. We don't have a, a contractual network, a, you know, relationship with the network. We just, you know, we help them out. But I think publishers should say, guys, I want to understand in real time, if possible, which campaigns are you running? Which creatives are you running? How much am I being paid per each? To your points, I wanna, I wanna manage frequency per user. Maybe I don't want to show this type of creatives. Maybe I don't want to show ads that are paying less than my threshold. Um, most programmatic platforms will enable you to do that, but programmatic is still 30, 40% of the pie. Not, not enough. I mean, it's, we are getting that the trend is positive, but that's not enough. Now, um, IDFA zero or lat traffic may change the picture uh, for some networks uh, like FAN that you know don't really like to bid on non-IDFA traffic. So that's that's an open question. What will happen to the 30%, Josh, that you mentioned? Uh, if iOS 14 and, and, and lat traffic will increase, will they be as aggressive as today? I don't know. It may change it. Um, there, are two, there are two more hidden points, Sophia, and, and it's about, because data became so important, we've seen accelerated consolidation in all sides. We've seen publishers acquiring publishers to get more data, more IDFV, more reach. We've seen networks are buying gaming companies because that data also means experience. If I know what's working for this type of game, I can make my game better as well and vice versa. So the question I ask myself is when or where will we draw the line and say, what's happening here? Is my data helping me, helping you, helping them? Like what's exactly happening? That's something we'll have to unveil also next year. Yeah, I think it's a super tough problem. I think that uh, when it comes right down to it, this is a transaction between two parties. You know, there's a mediator in between, but it's a transaction between two parties. Uh, I think that sometimes the publishers don't want the networks to know things and think it's their data. And sometimes it's the opposite. But the truth is that both parties have the right to know, A, if there was a transaction, and B, how much money changed hands. It's not really like the, the realistic outcome is not that only one of those two parties gets to know. So it, it's not super likely to me that that's going to be how it should work out at least. Um, you know, if it went to court, I don't think there's a, a judge in the US that's going to say companies that serve ads don't have the right to know if they've served an ad. Um, that's kind of weird. Um, and I think it'd be weird if they said companies that buy ads don't have the right to know if they bought ads. That's weird too. 
So I, it really is a transaction between two parties. Um, you know, networks do play a big role as well in mediators. Um, programmatic, like OfferSight is huge, actually. Um, that's been a huge area of growth for us this quarter. Um, a little plug for, for Offer here. Um, we weren't sure how big um, programmatic was. When we implemented Fiber, um, it grew to over 10% of our revenue really, really fast. And it was mostly net new revenue growth. Uh, I've been shocked with the programmatic quality we've gotten through them. Um, and the reason why to bring it up is the, the weirdest thing is that um, most of our CPMs are in like that 10 to 30 range. Our top floor with um, fiber is like $200 because they found this pocket of people that um, everybody just wants. Um, and you can only get that with programmatic. So having some good programmatic leaders in there that's been a big learning for me over the past quarter. Got it. And I think we should talk about programmatic next, but maybe before we jump to that, uh, Josh, to your point, I like the way how you characterized, you know, kind of the transaction between two parties. But it does seem like in 2021 that there will be an increasing battle about who owns that data. And so I can certainly see that those conflicts and who has access or who owns that data will kind of increase in 2021. But maybe one thing that I can also ask you about, Offer, you mentioned IDFV, and that seems to be a very contentious issue, depending on who I talk to. You know, I think Zynga publicly, we've got some of their management executives mentioning that, you know, they don't specifically say IDFV, but they basically say that IDFV is a big, is going to be a big deal for them. They kind of use that as a justification of their acquisition of Rollick, for example. But in, in your view, how important is IDFV? So I can start and I'll let the guys uh, follow up. I mean, look, if you look at the, at the notion and the spirit of Apple's privacy policy, what they keep saying is that you cannot share data with other uh, sites or, or apps owned by other companies. Like that's, that's the gist of it. You can share data with you know, other properties owned by different companies. So this consolidation move, you know, to some degree, it's, the data is now owned by a single company. Now, is it IDFV? Is it a publisher proprietary ID? Now, it, now it's less, I, I think, again, it becomes secondary because it's the same company. Apple doesn't say that you know a, a social point between their apps cannot share data. It's it's the same company. Now, in your example of Zynga, now they own a lot of studios. It's the same company, and we actually seen them changing like you know Rolik to Zynga and the publisher name on the App Store. That's that's a very strong indication. Now I, I can speak on be on behalf of Zynga. I don't know what they plan, but again, just by looking at what Apple is trying to do, that's why I see consolidation. You know, such you know takes a big part in twenty one. Um, yes, there are conversations about IDFE. I don't know when when you read the language right now. You should use it only for you know your own analytics, uh, everything that is inside the publisher data. Don't share it with others. As long as you do it, you should be fine. Um, again, just another reason to go and, and and buy more if you can. Great insights there. Um... I personally have a lot of ambiguity. Um, I feel that the value of IDFV is still quite hard to measure. I mean, it's, it's currently an unexploited resource, right? 
it's this new tool thing that we have to play with. I know it's been around for a long time, but it was never the, the right thing to focus on compared to IDFA. So for me, the jury is still out and how valuable it is. It certainly has value, but it doesn't, it doesn't allow you to do some things like bid um, and share that knowledge quite as helpfully. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see how helpful it becomes over the next year. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree because I think IDF3 indeed is not the solution. At least we don't see it yet. Uh, it might become, but we feel like, you know, the, the consolidation trend that we've been speaking about, in my opinion, it's fostered, of course, by this, but also by the fact that the bigger company, they just want to grow, right? And, and other ways of growth have, a, have the limit. And what, what I think will happen is that with uh, iOS changes, for smaller companies, it's just um, it's just a way to survive, to kind of look for the expertise. And if you have a great game, you have a bunch of great games and you're a smaller company, you need expertise on how are you going to continue on iOS. Eventually, it's another factor, pro the integration or pro uh, acquisition. So that company will be very happy to be acquired eventually. So there are... Two trends where you know the bigger company wants to grow, the smaller company wants to have expertise and want to survive, which eventually I I believe we will see much more uh, consolidation and much more integration trends in the future. And Apple actually helps to to uh, foster that. Okay. And so maybe we can now talk about programmatic bidding heading into 2021 and the potential impact. And Josh, you mentioned this notion of CPM hotspots. Do you kind of explain that a little bit more for, for folks in the audience who may not be aware of what you're talking about specifically? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I'll do a quick overview of what programmatic is a little bit versus traditional, like what you would call like sub pub bidding, um, which is what a lot of other networks offer. Um, Offer, correct me if I butcher it, I apologize in advance. Um, but essentially um, with programmatic bidding, um, while the actual application and the placement itself is a factor, they are looking at the actual user they're buying um, the right to show ads to, not the app they're gonna show ads in. Um, and what that allows um, the advertiser to do is target exactly that person. So practical example here is I, I make games for your mom and for your dad. They're old, uh, they have disposable income. Um, and some of them, especially right now, wanna stay home and spend tons of money on slot games. If let's say a scatter slots or some large casino, uh, social casino company wanted to bid on my users, uh, through AppLevin or IronSource or Unity Ads, they would be bidding on all of my inventory. And that means the bid that they could offer would be diluted. Um, one of the things we've seen since integrating Fiverr is that we can genuinely just set price floors that I thought were ludicrous. The $200 price floor is quite intense. But for some players, um, especially for sophisticated um, ad, um, ad buyers that know who they want, $200 is cheap. And so hotspots can form for you know, a half a percent or 1% of your user base. Offer, did I butcher that or is that okay? You know, we are hiring Josh. Maybe you should apply. You're doing a great job. 
No, it's exactly it. I mean, I mean, um, you, you don't want to price a, a, a billboard. You want to price, you know, a specific uh, user. So, uh, so that that's about it. I mean, I think the trend for twenty one, and I know Josh that you are you're also advocating for it, is actually moving away from a waterfall mechanism where you have to tediously create those waterfall, uh, those price points and flow prices, and create a single auction which reduces latency. And then, you know, all the participant uh, buyers and bidders can look at the, at the opportunity, place the one bid, if it's 200 or 20, depends on the, the impression, and it removes a lot of the friction. I'm sure, Josh, you spent time setting up floors and, 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 and trying new prices, and I doubt you enjoy it, okay? So I know that it's, it's been gradual, um, again, all mediation platforms will be happy to, to move to, to a fully uh, bidding mechanism. Um, yeah, uh, I will stop here. I, I think that's something that you know most mediation should, should definitely want to push to, yeah. Sophia, any thoughts? Well, uh, programmatic, that is really hard to add anything after those two experts, to be honest. Uh, I think that, we all know that in 2021, iOS programmatic is under a threat. Clearly, uh, I feel like that, well, I feel like we're coming back again, like to, I don't know, kind of PMP deals or whitelisting situation. And it's definitely not what we really want uh, for both sides of, of our business, for, for our revenue and for user acquisition. But I guess this is just a reality. I do believe that uh, for a bigger companies will benefit more out of this because we clearly were a big marketplace we have a lot of users we uh we probably would be more noticeable than than the smaller publishers which in my opinion is just unfair but um yeah i guess that's that's what i think will happen you know it's a good question sophia i wonder you know we we also ask internally and yeah. what will happen to programmatic and bidding if you know not if when idfa will will start to to go away and like always, I, I don't have a clear-cut answer here because, again, it's going to be a process. However, uh, I am building more and more confidence into contextual targeting uh, that, you know, some are, are, are now trying to, to build up. And that, that type of contextual targeting allows you to describe the impression without giving out an IDFA, not as a fingerprint, not by, I'll give you enough data points so you can complete the picture, no, no, not about that but actually providing valuable data for the marketer. For example, this is the fifth impression of the user in this, you know, this session, like impression depth. Um, here, here is the last advertiser or the last creative that the user actually saw. Mm. Like if, if I'm now bidding after a social casino, you know, do I want to show another social casino or maybe it's a good time to, to try something else? Um, those type of... Uh, of um, Parameters uh, do not identify the user in any way, but yeah. they give more context. And and we've been we've been running tests with like good programmatic partners like Liftoff and Moloco and I'm sorry I won't mention everyone, but like good partners and and we can see how different parameters without IDFA can help machine learning you know place the right bid. It requires some more work. Again, it's a process, but but I think if that work, we will all benefit from it. This is great news, to be honest, because what, you know, from publisher side, what we we'll usually think of when we think of programmatic in 2020, like, okay, guys, you are going to use probably 
device, uh, I don't know, the publisher name, the uh, publisher app, and maybe time of the day, and of course, location. And that's what you're going to deal with. But now hearing that you guys look into like a deeper variables, and, and there are much more variables than we actually think of, indeed, that, that, that gives us a bit more confidence. So thank you for sharing. One step at a time, yeah. <laughs> Again, it comes down, though, to like Offer said a while ago, um, update those SDKs. Right. <laughs> that's that's what he's talking about right now. They're discovering these really cool ways to make us all more money. And it's going to be in the new SDKs as they come out. Um, so that's why we should all be pushing those so that they can learn faster. Because we all make more money when um, they, they have the tools to learn. I, I'm really interested to see what Offer and that team comes out with. In terms of the next topic, I thought we could talk about just looking at all the stuff happening. You know, we've got a bunch of changes happening. We've got IDFA deprecation happening. So in 2021, if we were to think about the impact to the ecosystem in terms of, you know, are there going is there going to be consolidation? Uh, you know, the various co companies, both at the studio level at Ad Networks, you know, mediation layer, will there be more acquisitions? Could you guys just talk? generally or high level in terms of what do you guys think will happen at the ecosystem level in 2021? And again, maybe starting with you, Josh. I'm actually going to punt this one straight to Offer as, um, <laughs> as a mediator. Uh, I'm really curious to see what Offer has to say. So I was actually about to take it to a different level, which is like the industry. Um, I think 21, what is planned for us is just a lot more recognition for mobile games in general. We've seen it with the Unity IPO. We've seen it with Digital Turbine, who is just exploding in the market. We have a couple of uh, future IPOs coming up from you know, ad networks around us. Uh, we've seen it with gaming companies. We've seen Zynga Stock, uh, Steelfront Group, Ubisoft, right? I mean, it's amazing. So um, for me, it all comes together the market is going, there is more recognition, more money, more consolidation, more attention for marketers and brands. Everything is playing, you know, into the same, uh, into the same field. And it's helping us all, it's really helping us all because we need more people like Josh to come up and, and you know, build those great games and, and appeal to those audiences. And people like Sophia, you know, that can also push the industry via acquisitions and, you know, pushing more UA budgets into the market. It's all coming together, uh, even though we had a, a, a pandemic, and we still do. And IDFA may go away. I am bullish about next year. I really am. I feel like the, the, the market forces are strong and positive and are working to help us all. Sophia, did you have any thoughts? Yeah, well, to add up on, on, the, on my mention about, you know, more consolidation, so clearly bigger companies, smaller companies. Uh, I do believe, well, I think we're expecting a couple of IPOs as you're, I think Roblox should be IPO'd, I guess. And there is some other companies. So I think IPO wise is going to be fun uh, for sure. I completely agree with Offer. I think the year is going to be very interesting in all aspects. So <laughs> let's see. Um, well, um, I do believe that there will be more acquisitions coming to uh, network to network or maybe network to uh MMP or so, uh, I feel like this is going to happen, uh, but I have, well, I'm hoping that no more ad networks buying gaming studios will happen, but I guess I'm pretty egoistic about it. 
Yeah, I think that's going to keep happening. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty likely. Keep my hopes up, Josh. Come on. I think that's okay so long as data is not <laughs> shared. But um, I, yeah. I think data is going to be shared. I mean, we look <laughs> um, I, right. I, I, obviously that makes it harder, but I think that's just what it is. Um, when you look at what ad networks are doing, I mean, even mediation layers, um, you know, Iron Source, um, their mediation platform, um, they're asking you to do things like pass back who your spenders are. Um, they're asking you to run your, your interstitial frequency A-B testing in their platform. That gives them really powerful data. Even outside of acquisition, there, there's a lot of um, tendrils kind of pulling out there trying to grab at that data because it's just so valuable. Um, one question kind of has to be is um, for, for publishers is who are you willing to share your data with? Um, how much are they asking for? And what data do you have that's exclusive? Um, because perhaps you have to share some data with some people, but perhaps you can maintain some exclusive data for yourself that no one's sharing. Um, I think that's potentially very um, impactful for publishers going forward. Right. Yeah, I mean, I do think just in general, uh, not just IronSource, I think everyone's going to be asking for all of your data as much as they can get in 2021, right? I mean, that's a, it's a, a, so definitely going to be, you know, what I'm calling data wars of 2021. But maybe in terms of the next topic, are there any trends that we missed? Uh, you know, we certainly talked a lot in terms of impact of IDFA deprecation and other potential trends happening. But in terms of ad monetization, ad revenue in 2021, what have we not talked about so far that might be very important for, you know, studios or publishers to think about? Josh? One thing that comes to mind is mediation itself. We've touched on that a little bit. Is there any kind of useful insights there, team? It's, you know, again, it's all, it's all related, but, you know, I think some, some publishers are starting to ask themselves, should we you know, own mediation or parts of mediation. And own doesn't mean necessarily to build. Uh, will there be new business models or new type of integrations where you can, you as a publisher can take the mediation um, building block and just top your data or top your secret sauce on top of it. Something you can't really do with the off the shelf mediation. Um, um, that's that's definitely one one trend we may see next year. The other trend that is not necessarily mediation related is around Android, and you know the tension between the U.S. and China made several device manufacturers like Huawei and others kind of split Android and come up with their own um, platforms, which I think opens up an opportunity for publishers who are willing to spend little bit of time and, and modify their, their content to their store and, and their platform, that's another distribution channel that can be interesting in you know, new markets and new devices. So I think we'll see more of that in, in different places around the globe. And, and that's an opportunity for growth. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think that the, to use your term, the off the shelf mediators, um, the, the, the big players already there. They're almost transitioning away from being a pure mediator where they are passively just holding an auction um, and transitioning to almost being a growth partner 
where where their goal is to to grow to grow you, which has been really interesting from my perspective. The the delta between mediation performance does appear to be growing. Um, there are a few things that comes to mind that's kind of stuck out to me. Is so we um, wildcard with our biggest game. We tested a mediation switch to to max um, in November, um, and honestly, I'm a little embarrassed by how impactful it was because I I worked my ass off on those waterfalls. Um, so then switching to max got us a, a D7 ARPU increase of over twenty percent. So that 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 was really impactful. Also, what I've seen is mediators starting to offer more and more services. There were a lot of issues I didn't realize could happen, especially with in-app bidding, as that starts to um, take over from pure waterfall style bidding. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, Sophia, but we had one network just very recently um, showing crazy, crazy um, revenue numbers in Max. Um, but they have a tool that compares what they're bidding in programmatic bids versus what they're actually paying us. And the Delta was like five to 10 X. Um, and part of their service was they actually emailed that ad network and said, Hey, you're bidding this much and paying them this much. Why? Um, and I didn't even realize that was a problem with um, programmatic mediation. Those additional services to help extend your team and keep you small and light are becoming more and more important. Um, and then I believe with Iron Source and, um, and AppLovin, they both have auto ROAS UA products, where if you integrate with their mediation, they pass ad revenue directly back to the network. And that allows you, instead of buying on a CPI basis, you can actually buy on a pure ROAS basis. And that enables you immediately scale your spend. And that's uh, an additional value add that they're bringing. Um, so again, it, it's um, they're kind of earning your data, so to speak. Uh, but I'm a little guy. I, I I need all the help I can get scaling. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, Sophia, you have a much larger amount of data um, and a lot more to lose. So I'm kind of curious to know. Like, I'm hungry for growth. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. That's uh that's a good challenge you're <clears throat> posing here, Josh. I think that uh well with um our current provider, I unfortunately we do not see that much of a data when it comes to in-app bidding. So everything that you've been uh telling us, it's the opposite for us. We do not see a very huge uplift coming from in-app bidding, but we'd rather see a lot of issues. And by issues, technical errors, certain situations which we're trying to resolve right now. So I cannot really even say, uh, you know, hey, all go to in-app bidding. It's just working out great. It works out on one of our games, but now we're testing it back just to make sure that it actually works. Uh, another problem we have is that the, there is lack of transparency. So while we were expecting to see, you know, bids versus uh, traditional instance bids and so on, we do not have this data. Therefore, as a publisher who indeed can afford, let's say, a less intense cash flow, we, we are thinking to, um, to work with the more transparent partners in general. And this is for sure because we do not want to endure situations where we don't even know what the bids are for our bidding traffic coming from anybody, you know. Um, but having said, said that, uh, in, back to your questions, 
Joseph, uh, you asked, like, what do we think what happened with mediation? I really, really hope, and I think it will happen, that we will get a couple of, or maybe even more, uh, players on the market in terms of mediation platforms. Those players, I'm pretty sure the, the biggest sales pitch for everybody who comes to this market will be, hey, I'm actually really transparent. <laughs> Not like those guys, but I am really transparent. So, uh, which makes sense because transparency right now is, is, is the best selling point. Like it's something that everybody promises, but we never have it, have it eventually. Uh, so this is my prediction. I think that we'll see some, some new stars on the market and um, it will be very interesting because in my opinion, in our mediation platforms market, we don't have enough players. It's way too segmented. The market shares are huge and this is wrong. Like I'm, I'm happy that fiber comes back. You know, you guys are coming back now pretty strong. So this is great. If we have two more players that are coming back strong, we will see that. We will see what we want to get. We probably will see even some accurate data from some certain bidding partners, uh, hopefully. But yeah. I really enjoy watching the, thank you, it's Sophia. I really enjoy watching the conversation between Josh and Sophia because like anything in life, you can't build one product that fits so different audiences, right? And sometimes if you try to uh, satisfy everyone, you end up satisfying no one. So you, you have to choose, of course, with the right resources, you can do this and this and this, but you know, as a product person myself, I know, I know that focus and prioritization is very important. Uh, so you guys have different needs. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see that you also have different feedback. Uh, it's not about right or wrong. It's just, you know, completely different set of, of expectations. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I would second though, Sophia, on the need for transparency. Um, I, I would make a prediction that's slightly more caveated than hers, where I'd say that we, we, we need to know what the freaking bids are, guys. Like that, that's ridiculous. Um, it, it's not, good faith behavior to withhold um, critical information. We just talked about what those are for. Those are gonna allow us to get through IDFA apocalypse. You know, go, okay, we need those for sure. Um, if mediators don't offer that transparency, then there will probably be um, fewer barriers for to entrance for new mediators come to the market if they do offer transparency. Um, not sending back the bids for one network is, um, it's a major issue, um, which is why, I, I mean, it's a huge deal for us. It was uh, just going through this negotiation process in the last month and a half, uh, integrating a new mediator. That was a, a very, very large issue for us. Um, we, the way we stated it was, you know, like I'm actually really proud of our, our product team. We've grown our D30 ARPU for our biggest game by over 100% this quarter. That's huge. And there is no mediation product that's gonna give me that. So it doesn't matter if I'm gonna get 20% gain um, one time. If I lose my data, I lose the ability to grow. So data and transparency trumps everything else. Um, so that's, that's why we ended up, one of the reasons we ended up going with Max. And I'm not, I'm not paid to say that by Max or anything. Uh, I just like to share best practices. We, you know, very grateful that there we've been able to um, boost our ad revenue while at the same time um, we are getting API-based ad revenue reporting, um, inclusive of fan bidding estimates and everything else. That is a clear transparency is a big value prop. 
And I really hope to see more mediators follow through in that way. I agree. Let's, let's hope for 2021 and what happens there. Yeah, yeah 2021, definitely. I, I think it's gonna be just as interesting as 2020 personally, but <laughs> uh, on that note, I think uh, that's all the questions I have guys. Thank you very much for joining. Maybe we could just end with a final message for our audience. And if people wanna get in touch with you, maybe a way for them, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or what have you, how they could get in touch with you. Again, starting with you, Josh. Yeah, I mean, final message is be prepared. Be ready to rebalance and handle how you run Admon. Um, we're going to be, we're going to get hit by a big wave. If you're ready, you can surf the wave. If you if you're not ready, it's going to pull you under. So as long as you're ready, you're going to be okay. Um, also, Wildcard is hiring right now. We're growing quickly. Uh, we're looking for art directors, growth managers, UA managers, um, smart people to help us grow our products. Uh, if you're interested, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Josh Chandley. Um, that's that's it for me. Okay, offer? Yeah, <clears throat> so it, it, it's, it was great to have you uh, all here. Thank you to be with you here, it would be great. Uh, one last message, uh, 21 might start a bit rough in Q1, but again, remember it's a process. Uh, you start low, we can only go up from there. So I'm very optimistic. Um, we are hiring as well, uh, just like uh, Josh, uh, especially product managers, UA monetization, pretty much everywhere in the world, uh, remotely or one of our offices. Uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or my email, offer.yehudai at fiber.com. Thank you. Okay. Sophia? All right, guys. Well, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I, I learned a lot from all of you guys, and it's been, I hope, I hope our listeners uh, did the same. To find me clearly on LinkedIn uh, with my Russian surname, you probably will have some issues. So just try Sophia and Social Point, and I think you'll find I'm the only Sophia and Social Point. So I'll, I'll provide links for, for you okay. guys. But perfect. That that's even better. Get in touch. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks again, everyone, and that's it. Bye. Thank you. Bye.